Hello and welcome to the Kildren Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Coddy. In today's episode, we're going to be focusing on the topic of behavioural resistance. And with the help of our guest, we'll be looking at this subject through the lens of the house mouse. So without further ado, let's welcome Kildren's technical manager for the Midlands, Avril Turner. Hi, Avril. Hi, I'm good, thanks, Luke. How are you? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Um, so before we begin, Avril, then, um, we're using the term behavioural resistance here, but it can go by other names, right? Yeah. So you might hear it referred to as like, shyness or um, food aversion. Behavioural resistance might also be termed as bait avoidance. So we've got a few terms that people might use to describe what really is the same thing, bait shyness. And then are these differences purely semantic or, or is, there, is the differentiations between the definitions? Presumably if there's bait shyness and there's behavioural yeah. resistance, can some of them re- refer to like rodenticides and some refer to traps? Yeah, so you could get behavioural resistance to bait, you could get behavioural resistance to traps, you could even get behavioural resistance to any object. So it could like, a, it has a carry across to different things as well. So before we before we begin then, uh, are you okay to give us a brief description of the house mouse in terms of its appearance and so on, and then maybe how will they differentiate the other rat species? So house mouse, um, you'll often hear it called by its Latin name, that's Mus domesticus, um, and they are a grey-brown all over, they're quite small. Average weight of a house mouse is around 25 grams, so they're really light, quite small. Um, they've got a tail that's longer than the head and body put together which is one of the proportions that stays the same throughout its life and then we use that to compare to other rodent species as well so for example common rat or brown rat Atosmobegicus has got a tail that's shorter than the head and body put together um, other evidence obviously the droppings they're different a lot smaller in the house mouse more spindle shaped and often we do say that there is like a, a slight coat color difference but um, in reality, you can get natural variations in both coat colours of both species. So we don't tend to use it as a key identifier because you can get that similar coat or you can get a coat that's darker or lighter, just depending on how much melanin that particular mouse or rat's got, really. Um, a mouse does tend to seem more slender. They're more agile. They've got slightly larger ears, slightly larger, larger eyes compared to a um, a brown rat even though obviously when the brown rat's bigger um, mm-hmm. they're going to have larger eyes and larger ears but when we're comparing proportions you'll see comparatively larger eyes and ears. Um, so then for a full understanding of the animal what in, in terms of the house mouse's personality or inherent nature what is that like can we get a reading on that sort of stuff? So house mice are described as being milophilic so neophilia means love of new things so it makes them inquisitive, it makes them interested in new things. And it's a really interesting behaviour to observe in mice, um, particularly compared to a brown rat, because the brown rats have fear of new things. It's a really, really well-known behaviour called neophobia, fear of new things. And house mice don't have that. They don't have that innate behaviour. And so we've got a very clear difference between the two. And in pest control, we can we can really optimise on the differences between those behaviours. So, in essence, then, what is bait resistance? There's two different main types that you can come across. So, the type that we can talk about 
is the bait resistance that's inherited. So we've got a genetic bait resistance, and then we've also got a behavioral resistance. And the two often confused, but they are actually very different. Behavioral resistance in um, rats and mice, it's learnt behaviours. So they have learnt them from their environment. They may have been imprinted on from their previous generations. Their parents may teach them these behaviours to live by. Um, when they're very young, they can be imprinted. Um, whereas bait resistance, as in a genetic resistance, is something that's inherited genetically. So it's originally due to a genetic mutation, obviously in the DNA, and then we get various different genetic mutations, which can lead to resistance to certain types of rodenticide. So then how does this behaviour resistance occur then? As you say, some stuff's inherited and some stuff isn't. What impacts do pest controllers have that create this behaviour? So when we talk about behavioural resistance, in the, the learnt behaviours, um, you can often find it when you get, um, say you've got a situation, the homeowner might have tried to do something themselves and they can sometimes cause aversion behaviours. So do you remember that? I mentioned it at the start, so I said like um, food aversion and that leads on from this. So you can get aversion behaviours and aversion behaviours in both, in both rats and mice are behaviours that are triggered by events. So, for example, there may be a, a trap that's been put into a, um, a roof space and the mouse may go along and trigger that trap but not get trapped by it. It may catch a whisker, it may catch a paw, and they manage to get off it. Because of that event, because of that fear factor that would be related to that, the, the loud noise, the snap, um, they can actually develop what would be fear of that particular object. So you can get the same thing to baits as well. So they could in fact make a link between something causing another rodent to not feel well, um, and they would actually sense that on that particular rodent. They would sense it around the mouth if they had eaten it like very recently, and then consequentially could actually connect up the dots in that particular situation and you may have a, a behavioural resistance because they've learnt that that may cause the rodent to not feel well or actually die. So it's, it's quite a complex behaviour. The problem with the main problem with aversion behaviours, so that was the sort of an event causes it and they learn from that event, that would actually last anywhere from a couple of months to up to six months. So this is where you can get this situation in a home Somebody or homeowner puts a couple of traps up there. They, the mice have been near the traps. They've triggered them. They haven't been caught by them. And then we go in, put basically what is the same trap in. Maybe we'll put a different lure on it, a different food source. And they, they avoid the traps. They don't go near the trap because they previously learned that that trap could harm them. And that can take a long time to overcome those behaviours because they have to be forgotten, if you like, and, and relearned. Yeah, so that's quite interesting. That shows really that, I know you talked about that inquisitive nature, but it also shows the intelligence of the house mouth to develop over time yeah. and to sort of, well, I guess that's basically in terms of survival of the fittest. Do you know what I mean? You've got this learned yeah, behaviour has are, to occur. They're, they're, they're born survivors. They have a lot of mechanisms that we just, as, we would just dismiss. 
we would not think or nothing of it. I mean, as humans, we obviously in sort of into our psychology, we have these similar attributes. Like if you saw somebody that was harmed by something, you'd go and obviously you'd go and help them, but you w- you would know, you would learn that that may harm you. So you're not going to go near it again, are you? And you get that same behaviour playing out in both rats and mice. So you mentioned both uh, cases there with uh, bait stations, uh, with rodenticides and traps. Are there certain bait stations or traps that are conducive to bringing about behaviour resistance? Are there some that are that can help alleviate the issue? Not really, no. But it's 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 difficult because it can be different in each situation. I think it's it's really easy to forget that they are wild animals. And you think, oh, they you know they they are they're not domesticated, even though we do see them in so many domestic settings and things like that. Um, and I think the main the main thing is trying to remember that we do have all these different varieties of traps. We do have a quite a selection of baits that we can use, and it's not any one of them that may give rise to sort of behavioural resistance in any capacity. Um, but the best the best advice is to still use um the tried and tested methods that we have so trapping always always a go-to we can always try that um and then as for bait it's still generally a basic principle that the second generation anticoagulant redenticides are one of the best methods because we do have that delayed action and the rodent shouldn't associate feelings ill um with consumption of those baits so that's two of the main sort of points that we can still impress on, that we still use those techniques and they do still work. Um, and yeah, the behavioural resistance and bait shyness can be an issue, but it's not necessarily caused by what the pest control has done. It's also usually another outside influence that's happened before we got there. So you mentioned there the benefits of using second generation anticoagulants. Is there yeah. any certain baits that these species are building up an immunity to? See, it's interesting you say immunity because when we talk about immunity, it would be um, essentially production of an antibody to counteract a toxin or a bacteria. And it doesn't quite work that way in rodents, aside from infections and things like that. But to build an immunity, they would have to have something introduced and then have to have a counteracting agent to it and in the sort of genetics of rodents that wouldn't happen as a response to rodenticide it's interesting you say immunity and that's a kind of it's a misconstrued point often when you say immunity it's not actually immunity on the sort of theoretical basis it is possible to build resistance to second generation anticoagulants but it has to be under quite specific circumstances and one of the circumstances that can eventually lead to that could be something like sublethal dosing. Within the crew code, within other labels, we're given set amounts of rodenticide to use. The code says we need to use appropriate quantities of bait. And that's one of the key things that we can focus on, using an appropriate quantity and not using too little. If we use too little, then the rodent takes a very small amount. It is possible that if they didn't refeed on it, they could eventually build resistance over a long time. And I'm not saying it happens very often, but over time it's a it's a theoretical possible. So eventually that particular rat could then imprint 
that behavior or mouse onto their young and then they would then avoid that bait as well so we've got a um, a learned behavioral response of bait shyness or bait avoidance which they would then imprint onto consequential generations which then would build a resistance to it hmm, that's interesting so how do how does one overcome bait shyness then so i think when when we're looking at a situation where we can visibly see what they're doing they're not going in boxes they might be completely avoiding traps basically we need to really change things up so change the box you've got it in um, there is a, a description on some of the labels that we can use that's covered in protected bait points as long as they still remain tamper resistant. Um, and in certain areas that are locked off, areas that are secure, then we may be able to use um, other materials. We may be able to use different application techniques. So by doing that, we can overcome the resistance they've potentially got to that particular bait station. Similarly with um, traps, we can change the trap, change the trap to a trap that they might not recognize, a, a different type of trap. For example, you might have a, you might have used a black cat trap, you change it to a snappy. Simple changes like that and they may not recognize that that's going to do the same thing as what they associate that other trap doing to them in the first place, which is quite, it's quite interesting. But I think the main thing is to change things up, change potentially, could even change the bait, change it to a different formulation, change it to something that's more interesting, particularly for mice, because we have got some really, really palatable baits, like the paste baits tend to be much more palatable than some of the block or other types of baits. So you could change formulation to something that's much more palatable. And particularly with mice, if there's been a site that's been set up for years, it's had the boxes in the same place and they're avoiding those boxes, they're avoiding the bait, we need to get back into that neophilic behaviour. We can re-trigger that by moving all the boxes around, put them in different locations that they won't recognise and they'll see it as something new, something's new there and they're more likely to get good uptake on it. Is there also a argument to sort of increase baiting sizes or would that not happen? Is it more the idea that like varieties of spice of life just keep thinking of new ideas or can you, can you, sh- yeah. can you go with sheer size and go that way? Yeah. In theory, for mice, you could, yeah, you could, um, it's, it's a, it's a proven by research. That if we increase the number of bait points, we, again, we're tapping into that behavior of the mice being, um, described as sporadic and peripatetic. So little and often feeding, and by increasing the bait points, then we actually provide more areas where they can feed, which would make them more interested in it and more likely to come across it on their travels when they're tracking about. And then, yeah, we could actually increase the baits and therefore potentially get better uptake. Um, I know you talked about pace being particularly palatable. Do techniques to overcome bait shyness, can they vary on the redundancy that is used? at all is there any really size you think yeah, they can i'd stay do. clear of um, yeah we can we can do that like i said we can have different bait formulations and even even changing just the bait formulation not that it even if it wasn't anything to do with palatability um just changing it to something else so if you did have paste bait in and they're avoiding it change to a block it's something different it's something especially for mice it's something different to again get into that behavior re re-trigger that behavior to like new things it's interesting to them something different to what was there before 
Um, and similarly, even with some of the sort of different formulations we've got now, like the cilantro and things like that, we could even we could even try something like that because again, we've got a different active, so we can change up the active and change up the formulation, so we can yeah tap into that behaviour of being neophilic. Um, so, have you ever had any first-hand stories of encountering behaviour resistance? Then, uh, and if so, how had, was yeah. this resolved? I've had quite a few. We've even had it with of completely avoiding the boxes, not even knowing what the boxes were. And in that particular situation, we actually started to, um, we didn't change the boxes, but we camouflaged them. So it was in, um, we put like carpet over the top of the boxes and because they were going over the top of the boxes. So we put carpet on top. So they thought it was just like a similar material. And they started to run through the hole for the box and go in the boxes. Hmm. Um, there's other things you can do as well. So both rats and mice have highly sensitive foot pads. So they can detect textual changes, heat changes. Um, we can do things like putting cardboard into the boxes. We can put liners into the boxes to make them feel more ambient and match the temperature around them. Because, I mean, plastic is plastic as a material is not natural. It, it doesn't feel like concrete. It doesn't feel like cardboard. And it feels very different to what's in our sort of natural, even in like a commercial or even a home setting. Um, so using something that is there, like cardboard, um, we may be able to get them into the boxes and feel that it's different text, like that different texture, but what they know that's around them, rather than something that's completely out there and different entirely. Um, other situations, it's taken time, to be honest, and they're really, in the really tough situations, you have got bait avoidance and you've got trap avoidance, particularly for traps, because you've got an aversion behaviour at play. You're looking at three to six months to actually kind of reset those behaviours. It's a it, it's a waiting game sometimes because you have got to wait for that behaviour to abate and then provide something new to them. I think that's nice. That time frame surely offers reassurance to some pest controllers that are having difficulty with the tough situations. That three to six months lets them know that this stuff does sometimes take time. Yeah, um, and the the aversion behaviours does not. Um, we don't we don't talk about it too much. But um, if you look into all the sort of the textbooks that we use, if you look into the research papers that we use as well. It's actually in those research papers and it's in some of the original textbooks that are used in pest control about aversion behaviours. So it's, it's really important to be aware of them. Great. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Avril. Um, it's interesting to as mice are getting more and more accustomed, it's all about us being able to keep them on their toes. And if anything, sometimes maybe this is a, a view from something that's not an actual pest controller out in the field, but it does keep pest controllers on their toes as well and it gives them a new challenge. Hopefully, that might be something to be excited about if you're a pest controller. Yeah. I think um, when we when we talk about bait shyness and sort of all the associated behaviours, it's quite it is quite interesting because we go back to the biology and the psychology of them as well, which which I find interesting, and it's a little bit different to what you do in sort of the normal day to day job. Yeah, it's feeding back into that idea of being a detective. It must be one of the most exciting parts of the job. Thinking outside the box a little bit can help because you start to you start to think of different ways that you can do things obviously same within the label guidelines and same within the crew code but there's still quite a lot of scope for the things that we can do whilst still remaining legal avril thank you very much okay
Once again, a big thank you for Avril Turner. Uh, and thanks for you listeners for soldiering through some crackly audio there. Now, I'm not going to point the finger too much, but let's just say one of us does this for a living and the other one of us was wearing big pink headphones. Uh, let's get to the code then, the reason you're all here. The code for this episode is Mike, Oscar, Uniform, Sierra, Echo. In the coming months, we're going to have a few variety of guests, including getting Mark Ward back on the podcast. Just speaking to him the other day, actually, we're going to do something on squirrels coming up soon. But until then, see you later. Bye-bye.